up, Menopod? Welcome to another fun-filled episode of the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. G. It may be the depths of winter when you're listening to this, but as I'm recording it, it's the beginning of fall, and temperatures are dropping. The air conditioning is off now. And what I love about the fall is cool mornings and warm afternoons. It's always been my favorite time of year. Add in football and the changing leaves, and it's just the perfect time of year for me. Speaking of football, you may or may not know, I grew up in Washington State. And when we got our very own professional football team, so many of us were really excited. I've been a fan of the Seattle Seahawks since the franchise's inception in 1976. Of course, those were the days of Roger Staubach and the Dallas Cowboys and Terry Bradshaw of the Pittsburgh Steelers fighting it out for dominance. Football's been a big part of my life for as long as I can remember. And while I don't love going to live games because of crowds and the cold, I make it a point to get NFL Sunday tickets so I can watch each and every Seahawks game that's broadcast nationally. In fact, it's common to see me running in my neighborhood with my Seahawks gear. I, I love them even when they have a bad season. And running in the fall is the best because it's not too hot, it's not too cold. Running in the winter in New York can be challenging, though, because it gets super cold and then you sweat. Now, something I've started to notice more when I'm running is my breath. How is my breathing? Is it labored? Is it difficult or steady and easy? As I continue my physical training, I've realized I need to really pay attention to my breathing and not just when I'm running. Today, we're going to be talking about breathing with sought-after spiritual teacher, personal transformation coach, and leading voice in the breathwork community, Christian De La Huerta. Christian has traveled the world offering inspiring and transformational retreats combining psychological and spiritual teachings with inspiring and changing effects. He's an award-winning and critically acclaimed author and TEDx speaker. His new book, Awakening the Soul of Power, was described by multiple Grammy Award winner Gloria Estefan as a balm for the soul of anyone searching for truth and answers to life's difficult questions. Transformation is something we all seek at various times in our lives, and sometimes we think we have to give something up or start something new or uh, think and act in a way that feels foreign to us, but transformation is possible. But it won't never happen overnight. It takes time. The first step to change, of course, is making the decision to change. But then, of course, we have to add, back that up with action. And that's the biggest challenge. How do we take action? And even more importantly, what specific actions should we take? The menopause movement is here to help you with all of that. Menopause can be a time of misery or a time of unapologetic action toward creating a life we love. Again, I woke up in the middle of my menopause journey hating myself, my body, and the life I had created. I didn't know what to do, and I went on a quest to find out how to, to make change happen. And the result was the menopause movement and this podcast. The menopause movement has one purpose, to help end the suffering caused by menopause through transformational education and coaching. And we want to help you too. So head on over to menopausemovement.com, take the quiz there. And not only will you discover your type, but we'll also tailor some offerings to help you take your life back from menopause. Getting into the driver's seat of my life was the first step I took to overcome the changes and challenges I experienced with menopause. 
But I did it alone, and I, it was lonely, and it took a lot of time. The menopause movement has created a community of women who are unapologetically deciding to become their best selves one small action at a time, and you can too. Join our community and start to create a life you love. On today's show, we talk about Christian's mission and how he got started. Healing past traumas with breathwork. Why we need a guide to get started with transformational breathwork. Breathwork versus conventional modalities like cognitive behavioral therapy. Breathwork versus meditation. Reconciling Western religion, spirituality, and sexual orientation. Where is the sacred and how to access that? Stepping into power and stay to the end for a powerful guided meditation. At the end of the episode, visit menopausemovement.com forward slash podcast, where you can find the show notes plus the links to the books and resources mentioned in the episode. And if you enjoy this episode, leave a written review, like and subscribe and to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. So you're always the first to know when each episode is released. Let me know who we should have on the podcast. What can we do to make it better? We want to hear from you. Please send an email to me, Dr. Gordon at menopausemovement.com. Christian, welcome to the Menopause Movement Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here today. We are going to talk about awakening your soul. So I'm super stoked about that. So tell me, what I want to know from you to get started is, how did you get into this work? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, Dr. G. It's been, uh, been looking forward to having this conversation with you. You know, I've been doing this kind of personal transformation work for the last 30 plus years. And I think it was kind of, it's one of those things that, that was always in me that was going to manifest itself in different ways. So like flashing all the way back, um, I thought I was going to be a priest when I was in high school. Um, so there was always that, that sense of wanting to serve others to make a difference, to serve the sacred as, as, it, as I've understood that in different, at different points in my life. Then my yeah. dad was a psychiatrist, my degrees in psychology. So I didn't want to go to med school. Um, so I went, I, I was going to get a, <laughs> I was going to get a PhD in, in psychology, but once I discovered, um, breath work as an alternative healing modality, I jumped tracks. I never went for the PhD. So what is breath work? You know, it's a very broad, uh, umbrella term. There's a lot of different breathing practices and different techniques. Anybody who's ever gone to a yoga class knows that there's a lot of different practices. Some are for relaxation, for stress reduction, for sleeping better. Some are more energizing and more focusing. Some of the type of thing you want to do right be before reaching for the cup of coffee in the afternoon after lunch. The type of breath work that I'm talking about is it's longer, it's it's more intense. You do it for about an hour. You breathe in a circular, connected way for about an hour, an hour and a half. Some modalities even go longer. You breathe for about three, four hours even. Um, and amazing stuff happens, Dr. G. It's like it's, it's it, I don't know anything more effective in terms of healing past trauma, um, mm. in terms of, of clearing suppressed stuff that, that we never worked through. Uh, than that. And and I know it sounds too good to be true because it heals not only mentally and emotionally, but also spiritually and even physically. And yes, even 30 years later, that still sounds too good to be true to the more skeptical scientific 
uh, rational part of my mind, but I can't argue with the results. It worked. Can you just give us some examples of what you mean by it working? Yeah, well, I'll give you like for me, the, the one that's most difficult to, to understand and accept is the physical healing. Let me, and I have okay. so many examples of that, but let me give you my favorite stories. The, 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 my teacher, the woman that I learned this from, you know, 30s, 30s, more than 30 years ago, when she was doing her first session, she was doing a one-on-one -on -one session. You could do it one-on-one, -on -one, you can do it in groups. And at some point, you know, she was on the floor doing this breathing and she heard the facilitator snap her fingers. And for some reason it triggered this memory she forgot about when she was five she got into an argument i forgot about what with her daddy and she got in a huff and she was going to run away from home and she got on her little bike and started pedaling about a block down she hit something and fell over and broke her nose and was black and blue for like three weeks at the end of the session she turned to the woman and she goes how did you know what you you had such presence and intuition to to, to snap your fingers at that moment because it triggered this thought that I'd forgotten about. And then I made all these connections about how that experience impacted my relationship with men. And the woman's like, I didn't snap my fingers. So as oh, they kept wow. on, I know what they kept on, what they figured out happened as they kept on talking was what she'd heard was the cracking of the bone. And the mm -hmm. next day, so 40 years later at 45, she got up in the morning and looked in the mirror and was black and blue all over again, not for three weeks, but for a couple of days while the body you know, corrected itself and, and healed itself. And so mm -hmm. it goes to show how the body holds on to trauma and, and how it heals itself. And, and, and but then to make the leap as to how breathing can heal that, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Well, I mean, but I think I think that's a conversation we should have. We know from research that the body keeps the score. We know this from, you know, Bessel van der Kamp's, uh, van, I, Bessel van der Kamp's lab. And I've interviewed on this podcast uh, somebody who worked in his lab, Deirdre Fay. And she's she's written a book called Becoming Safely Embodied. And we know that 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 the body remembers and the problem yeah. is accessing the memories. And so if you're saying that doing certain types of breath work can cause some healing, does it need to be guided or can we show the people who are, you know, tuning into this podcast a way to kind of maybe get some some help, some healing right now? Well, you know, I would recommend that the first five sessions, 10 sessions, be done with a professional the reason for that is that it can be profoundly cathartic like people you know have remember stuff that in many cases have they've forgotten about or they suppressed effectively mm -hmm. so it's really mm -hmm. good to have somebody to hold the space with them and and to be able to to you know just just having the presence of somebody else with you makes makes a huge difference like for example the people who who i train who train with me to become breathwork facilitators, they have different requisites to complete as part mm -hmm. of their program. 99% of them, what they resist, what they struggle with is the self-guided sessions because it's just us and our breath. And for most mm -hmm. of us, that can be a little intimidating. I mean, it, it's, and that, you know, I don't want, I don't want to scare people about it because it's an incredible process. In addition to all the healing, it can, it can provide some of the most ecstatic indescribable experiences that I've ever had and many other people have had as well. You know, people often report experiences of, of feeling at one minute, you know, what are called unitary experiences of feeling 
the interconnectedness of all life, feeling that we belong to something greater, to that it, you know, people have loved ones, um, you know, who who who've passed, show up and and have experiences of of connection and communication and forgiveness. People often report, you know, divine visitations, whether it's angels or Mother Mary or the Buddha or Ganesha. Um, you know, I can't promise that because that depends on how open anybody is to that on any given day. Mm -hmm. But I, it happens so, so frequently. You know, I can't argue with it. And, sure. and you know, and, and even in my case, like even if I want to go to like max skepticism, I say, you know, is it is it just what's really going on? Is it my misfiring brain neurons that are having me have the, these memories and these awarenesses? And then and then I ask myself, well, even if I'm making it up, so what? right if if it works like i'm telling you lives change in one session and so if it works it's like i don't care as long as it works so there's a couple of questions i want to ask you uh about this one of them is um how how is this different say from from a cognitive behavioral therapy or emdr well, EMDR is, is similar, right? Because EMDR bypasses the thinking mind. And, and that's the reason why I, you know, jump tracks, why I, why I never went for, for, the, for the PhD in psychology and, and the psychotherapeutic approach. And, and with all due respect, you know, so I'm, I'm not knocking psych psychotherapy generally. Um, in the right hands with, with clear goals, it can be profoundly healing and very helpful and transformational. And we all know you can sit on somebody's couch for 5, 10, 20, 30 years because they come to me at a mm -hmm. time rehashing the same old crap and nothing happens. The reason for that is, is that understanding what happened to us when we were 5 or 10 or 15 or whenever is good. And it definitely beats not knowing and suppressing it. And But the, the, what, the reason that it can fall short is because that trauma no longer lives in the head it has been somaticized so it's 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 stuck in the tissues of the body and that's why techniques like breathwork or emdr that bypass the mind and go to the source of the trauma in the body and clear it uh, that's why they are so effective and and it, it's a great adjunct like i have a lot of therapists who send people to me when their clients are stuck or, or when they're plateaued mm-hmm Okay. Because so, it's, it's, it's good to have the understanding. It's good to have the cognitive yeah. understanding for sure. So when you read the spiritual teachers, they, they all talk about, you know, breath. Breath is the, the sacred thing. Um, I, I do think that, that even Jesus talked about breath, but I think it got kind of pulled out of, mm -hmm. you know, thank, thanks to Constantine, uh, you know, all of the, all the yoga <laughs> yeah. got, re got removed from the Bible. Yeah. Yes. Um, Reincarnation got removed. Yeah. From the yeah. Yeah. If our connection to the divine truly is breath, that's like, if, if you study religion, that is like the one constant, right? That, that breath is the yeah. connection to the divine. It's the life source. It's, this is how you do yeah. it. You know, watching this or listening to this podcast, how can they get started if if it's something that they've never done before? I mean, we, we all know that, you know, if you want to meditate, you sit and you focus on your breath and you let your thoughts go, right? But focusing on your breath and doing breath work are two different things. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm really glad you brought that up because, because you're absolutely right. No, the science isn't there yet to, to explain how it works. They haven't studied breath work in the same way that, that you know there's so much research done done on meditation and what's happening in the brain when we meditate 
you know, I think they're going to start doing more and more of that with the breath. Uh, but mm -hmm. so, so understanding how it works for me, it's more from the, what's available to us now is more from a psycho spiritual perspective. And it begins with what you just said, right? That, that is the one constant in, in just about every religion or, or every spiritual tradition. And, and even more so, like, if you think of, if we think about it in most spiritual traditions and in several secular languages, the, the same word, one word can mean spirit or breath. So, mm -hmm. so for example, in from the ancient Greek pneuma, from which we get pneumonia, that word meant both lung and soul. And, and from the Latin root spidare, we get both respiration and inspiration or expiration. And, and, and here's my favorite one in Hawaiian, ha means that, breath and spirit. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but they have, they have a word that they use, kind of a derogatory term for, for foreigners, um, you know, for the colonizers. Um, who, who they called um, howless. And then what that word literally means is no breath. Wow. Isn't that amazing? And, and, yeah. and so that's, you know, the, so that's how I understand how I can explain how it works. When we do this type of breathing in a circular connected way, we're flooding the body with, with the universal life force called prana in Sanskrit or chi or ki. And, and that, energy that intelligence of life courses through the meridians for which that we do have scientific evidence for as of a couple of years ago so what mm -hmm. what eastern medicine has known the the meridians now western medicine has found proof of and so that that energy courses through the meridians the, the energy channels in the body until it hits a block an energetic block and it begins to dissolve it and to clear it and that's where those traumas live that's where all those suppressed emotions live because what used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy now we know from physics from quantum physics yeah. that it's true it's all energy including our bodies that feel solid they're just energy the word vibration that means right. the emotions are energy too and so just because of the countless times in our lives that we have swallowed our emotions that we overrode what we felt that we because we were afraid of conflict or we didn't want to rock the boat too much Every time we mm, we stuff all that stuff, it doesn't go away. We can't sweep it under the rug. It gets stuck in the tissues of our bodies. And what happens after a lifetime, after decades of, of suppressing our emotions, we walk around with layers upon layers upon layers of repressed emotional crap. And then here we are mm -hmm. trying to have a relationship in the present moment. All of it is getting filtered through that lifetime of unhealed past trauma and repressed emotions like yikes i don't know how any relationships can work because we have yeah. we haven't been taught how to hold them how to approach them how to hold them in a healthy way and we certainly haven't been taught how to clear ourselves of these cauldron of repressed emotions that we walk around with and then start dumping on each other's lap Think, yeah. thinking that we're having an argument in the present but it all goes back to some unresolved part of our past it's like yikes well, the good news right. is well, that, that there I is... mean, that's what I want to say is that, you know, as we grow up, we have layers and layers and layers of, you know, you can call it trauma or you can call it hurts or whatever. And, and we can only see our lives based on the filter of our experiences. I mean, that's that's how we live. That's and right. so if there is a way to clear it, you know, um, I think I think that that anyone who's listening to this will find it quite enlightening because to be able to clear away past hurts uh, 
through, you know, understanding how to breathe, you know, that, that makes that, that's huge, right? It is, it is huge. It is huge. Yeah. And, and it, it, it is, it's mind boggling. Like I, I feel even 30 years later of offering it all over the world. Yeah. I still, I'm, I'm still humbled. Like it just, every time I, I witness somebody heal some trauma that then is going to have an impact on all of their relationships. It's, it's just like wow. I mean, I don't even have the words. It, it's yeah. humbling. It's, it's 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 a state of of grace. So um, you know, one thing I talk about a lot is the fact that I was an atheist for a while, and mm -hmm. I um, I was raised I was raised Catholic, and then I got into um, some Protestant stuff in high school and became kind of a Jesus freak, and then I went mm -hmm. to Los Angeles and and in the eighties, and and there was a lot of uh, was doing like the vineyard church stuff, which was uh, just, there was a lot of really weird spiritual stuff that happened in the eighties. And we had, uh, I got, I got into some of the, some of the more mystical side of Christianity at that time. It didn't involve any breath work. It was just uh, accessing, you know, the spiritual, I guess the, the, uh, for lack of a better word, the occult, but not the, not the evil side, I guess. And then, uh, then I realized that, that I was gay. You know, I mean, I finally like said, okay, I'm, I really am. This is really who I am. And I, there was no place for me in, in the Christian church. And I was like, well, I'm just going to reject the whole thing. And then I read this book by this guy, by the name of Paramahansa Yogananda, mm. uh, called, uh, autobiography of a yogi and it explained it made all the, the whole jesus story makes sense to me it's like ah uh, you know where was jesus between the ages of 13 and 33 ah oh, well maybe he was studying to be a yogi and um and it made sense to me and then i wanted to understand kriya i wanted to figure out how to breathe that way and i did but i've never had i've never had a you know a profoundly spiritual experience in doing kriya so um yeah, so it's just it's just really interesting because through menopause specifically, I had this existential crisis about like the life I was in and how I was so unhappy with it, and it was starting a spiritual practice that made everything different for me. So, what kind of recommendation would you say for someone who's maybe you know kind of having an existential crisis? What, you know, someone who listens to this podcast primarily a woman between the ages of forty-five and sixty who may be like looking at, man, my life just isn't working right. What can I do? Yeah, that is, is such a profound question, Dr. G. And, and my heart goes out to, I totally relate to that experience as having been raised um, um, in, the, in the Catholic tradition as a gay man, as a gay boy, I knew yeah. from a very young age. And, and trying to reconcile that, that longing, that desire to serve God, to serve the sacred as I understood it back then, at the same time that I was being told by the religion in which I was raised that I was an abomination in the eyes of God, that I was going to burn in hell for eternity. It's like, yikes. No wonder my adolescence was one long depression with, with suicidal ideation, yeah. suicidal fantasies. Um, and so if, so if we're going to talk about God as a, as a white old man with a long beard and uh, micromanaging and busybody and judgmental and punitive, um, then I'm then I'm an atheist too. Um, so so 
but you know, it's like, we're going to talk about abominations. I don't believe in abominations, but if I were, uh, what to me is an abomination is the externalization of the sacred. What mm. many religions have done, which is created a, an intermediary, created a separation be between us and the sacred. How much mm. further could we have placed heaven and where the hell is heaven anyway? And it is from that that we treat, you know, the, the body, we animalized it. The, the, anything of the physical, we turned into something to be conquered and subjugated and controlled. We animalized yeah. the body. We demonized sexuality. So no wonder we have sexual issues as a species. And no wonder we treat the planet the way that we do. Like, uh, so, so to me, like, like step one for anybody um, who is in an existential crisis is to, wait a minute, go within. Because that's where all the answers are. Go within. So pause, you know, like, you know, like take a little time from the insanity of the busyness of, of our ADD society and go within um, and, and do whatever you got to do to realize. And I mean, not just understanding it conceptually, but to have an experience of that, of, of our interconnectedness of, of the sacred with the sacred uh, because you know if, we, if, we, if we're even going to go with with what the western religions claim that god is omnipresent that god is everywhere but don't tell me that god is everywhere except for the bedroom and the genitals right <laughs> it's it's either everywhere or it's not yeah i mean even yogananda says to transmute your sexual power uh you know your sexual energy transmute it and so i think and he even even those those people who go into um, you know becoming monks or, or nuns with within self realization fellowship, I think part of it is celibacy. So there is there is some there is some weirdness around around sex uh, for everyone, and I don't understand why it makes it makes no sense. I mean it's it's crazy to me. But one thing that Yogananda does show through throughout all of his work is that God is accessible to, to anyone. And it isn't even about, you know, gender. God is, I mean, he, he, Yogananda talks about God as a, as, as a male. Um, but I think that that is just because we live in a patriarchy. Mm -hmm. But if, if God is, he also talks about, you know, God being mother as well. So what I've, what I've discovered in my spiritual or you know, quest, as it were, is that the, the more I sit still, the more I can have access to God. And that, that if, if John 1, 1 is correct, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God, right? Mm -hmm. Then what happened was God was, and then God wanted to observe itself. And here we are. Right. And each one of us has access to the divine inside of us. And that makes a hell of a lot more sense to me than having to, you know, be redeemed from my sins through the blood of somebody who, you know, was martyred. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, you know, it just, and that's not to say, I'm, I, I'm not putting down the Christian religion. I understand the Christian religion, and I think there's a lot of validity to it. But I think that if you really want to grow spiritually one thing that's really important is to learn how to connect to your breath there's a really good book by james nestor called breath yes, um, yes. that i recommend that that you could that's a good way to get started but I, I would love it if you could you know walk us through some sort of an exercise it's just it's just as a, 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 a simple if if we 
pause for five minutes, 10 minutes, three times a week, right? Because the, because the human nature thing is so great. Okay, well, after listening to Dr. G and Christian talk, I'm going to meditate an hour a day, every day. And then we set up, so, that's not realistic, right? It's it, not at first. Um, so we set ourselves up for failure. And then we miss one day, mm -hmm. and then we miss two days, and then we say, well, well screw it, this isn't working. Um, and so I would much rather that we start manageable, bite-sized steps, 10 minutes a day, three times a week, right? Sit by yourself, sit comfortably, whether you sit on a meditation cushion on the floor, or you sit in a, in a, you know, in a chair with, the important thing is that, that your spine is straight. Um, and then just close your eyes, you know, and there are many different types of ways of going within, whether it's repeating a mantra to give the minds of something to focus on, whether it's some people count their breath, to me, what I what I do is just observing, right? Just so just watching my inhale and watching my exhale, and ninety percent of the time is going to be like, oh, there I there I am watching my breath, repeating a mantra, and oops, there I go doing my shopping list. Back to the breath. Oh, mm -hmm. there I with rehashing a conversation with with my partner from last night. Whoop, back to the breath. Whether it is futurizing, planning what I'm going to tell my boss when I have the meeting tomorrow morning. Back to the breath. But even that, right? That that practice. Of, of sitting ourselves and watching our breath, watching our thoughts, watching the emotions that are coursing, that is like practicing. That's, that's like running the, mm -hmm. the, the 5K so that one day we can do a marathon. Because it, when the rubber hits the road and we're about to get into arg an argument with our spouse or we're about to have this important meeting on the, with the boss and the boss is like, the boss is like, and I just said something to us the wrong way. That's when that moment, that all that practice comes in, you know, helpful. That's when it becomes helpful, because that's when we can nip it at the bud. So, oh, there it is. Yeah, I'm no, getting, that's yeah. I'm getting triggered. That's, yeah. So I think I think this is so important because here at the menopause movement, we are all about progress over perfection, and we there don't you go. we don't we don't ever say that you have to change everything all at once because every time you try to do everything all at once then then that's just a big setup for failure we we're really talk we talk a lot about how to make small deliberate changes and so if you want to start a meditation practice then i mean for me i started with one minute at a time just one minute start there exactly yeah you know and then i would up it to five and then eventually i think i got to an hour uh, and i'm not there now now i'm doing like 10 15 minutes at a time and that just happens to be where i am right now but the main thing is to not judge yourself. And the other thing that, that I think can be really hard is if you have a really profound experience when you're sitting and meditating, to not think that that's, that that's the goal every time. Right. Uh, but each, each time is just to uh, access. Because we don't, we're never taught in America how to train our brains. We're taught how to be factory workers. Exactly. And we we have to we have to be responsible for our for our own outcomes. And we talk a lot about responsibility and personal responsibility, particularly in order to create a life we love through menopause, because menopause lasts the rest of our lives. And one one of the tools that we can start to use is meditation and paying attention to our breath. So I'd really love it if, uh, before we close, if you could just walk us through an exercise. Sure. Um, and by the way, that just reminded me that I'm so glad you mentioned that about not chasing the high of meditation. 
when I first started meditating six, you know, 30, 30 years ago, I was in LA. I was actually in Rolando Beach for about six months. And I was yeah. sitting in my meditation um, cushion and nothing had happened. And, and then I hear, oh my God, I felt something. And oh my God, something happened. And then I realized <laughs> that, it, that it was a tremor. <laughs> it was like, oh, it's you know, like a, an earthquake or something? Like an earthquake, like a mini earthquake <laughs> tremor. <laughs> In Los Angeles, there's a lot of earthquakes. I used to live in Los Angeles. There's a lot of earthquakes. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. pretty funny. Uh, yeah, something that is, happened. That just cracked I mean, me up. I've had some times where, like when when I was when I was just getting started teaching uh, the 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 program that's now become the Mental Mastery Academy. When I was when I went to teaching the personal mastery side of that, I I meditated before I recorded it, and I had a I had a profound experience. Um, just uh, it was joy there was just it, it, i i and i've never had it since and not the same the same sort of way i mean i sit and and i wait for it but uh just i had this massive joy and then i recorded this one session and it just was it was just really amazing and it was yeah. scary you know yeah, um, yeah 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 sure but but at the same time, you know, whenever you do something that, that's new, you know, you're kind of moving outside your comfort zone. And that can be, you know, profound and scary at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah. there are so, so many so, points of confluence in the way that you, know, you and I talk and teach, like, you know, comfort zone yeah. and personal accountability is key to freedom. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, you know, and that's, by the way, returning to breathwork for a second. Um, I can't tell you how many times people have told me I've been sitting on a meditation cushion for 20 years, 30 years to have that moment of no mind because it takes mm. us. It's like, it's a shortcut to those high meditative states. It doesn't replace the, the benefit of a regular meditation practice, like, but because of the way that we were just talking about it, but it, it makes it possible to access those, those states more easily. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, Adi Ashanti wrote this really great book called Pure Meditation. And that really helped me understand that at the end of it, you know, it's just awareness. Yes. And because we talk to ourselves, but we also observe the voice that's talking to us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, who's observing that voice? And, and that's, you know, and if you really want to get into what that is, I mean, read Mickey Singer's book. Michael Singer, The um, Untethered Soul. I had to read that book like six times before it started to sink in. That's a hard <laughs> book to read. But um, but let's do let's do a uh, let's do a quick a quick breathwork exercise. I think that would be really helpful to anyone who's um, you know here today. Okay, and, yeah. sure. So so yeah, just sit comfortably wherever you are and close your eyes, unless you're driving, in which case, of course, definitely don't close your eyes. Yeah. Uh, but begin to bring attention to your breath. Like just noticing, just breathing normally. Except you begin to notice the breath. You begin to notice your inhale and your exhale. And as you do that, you might begin to notice that there's subtle nuances, subtle differences between them. So maybe the temperature is different. Or maybe where the air caresses the, the roof of your mouth or, or the back of your throat is slightly different as it comes in or out or your body. And that simple 
simple process of noticing the breath begins to deepen our connection with it. And as we do that, we begin to relax. And we allow ourselves to follow the breath, to be guided by the breath, deeper and deeper within ourselves. As we dive into that vastly unexplored universe inside each one of us. And it all it takes is breathing and letting go. And so you know, sometimes I use the visual of holding ha hands with the breath. Mm. So as I allow, as we allow the breath to deepen, right? So we start breathing deeper in the body. So, so maybe from the upper chest and the throat, the next breath, we relax a little bit more and, and breathe all the way down into the heart center. In fact, if, if, you, if you're somewhere where you can do so, it's good to place the, the, the palm of your hand right over your heart center, right there at the point where the sternum, right over the sternum, where the rib cage is me. So breathe down into that a few times. And then maybe the next couple of breaths go down, all the way down into the belly. And just keep relaxing. All you got to do for the next minute or so, the next few moments, is follow your breath. There is nothing else to do. To go deeper and deeper and deeper still. To breathe down even lower. As low as you can go. And, and in the process, we're allowing ourselves to be breathed. By, by the holy breath, mm. by the, the life-giving breath. And, and there's no dogma necessary. There's no need to believe in anything. Right? All that is required is that we breathe and that we allow the breath to breathe us, that, that breath that, that is honored and acknowledged and referenced in most spiritual traditions to allow ourselves to be filled, to be animated by that. And so allowing that process to continue. And the more that deeper we breathe, the more that we relax. And there's swamis in India that have that much control over, over their physical bodies that they can tell the heart to slow down and it does. They can actually mimic states that are almost indistinguishable from death. Like most of us aren't there yet, may never be there, but any one of us can do what we're doing right now, which is to pause and slow down the breath. Just allow it, because that's what the breath wants to do. The breath wants to breathe us fully, completely, and so what we do in these moments is just let go of any resistance to that, right? That, and let go of the stress that keeps us from being able to allow the breath full access. Right? Let go of all the worries. They'll be there in a minute if you want to pick them up again and, and worry, knock yourself out. For now, just for the next few moments, 
we let it all go, all of it. And all we have to do is breathe and allow ourselves to be breathed. And another visual that, that works for me is to imagine, like I'm, I come from an island environment, so deep connection with the ocean. So imagine the inhale, it's like a wave coming into shore, gentle wave. Right, coming and as as that breath comes into us, it's like a wave that fills us with life force and and energy and power. And then as it recedes, as the exhale begins to leave our body, we allow it. We imagine it taking it with it, taking it with it. Anything that no longer belongs in our bodies anything that no longer belongs in our lives. Right? And we, can we continue that process for a few more deep, deep breaths. So with the inhale, we fill ourselves with life force and energy and power. And then with the exhale, let go of anything, right? Like starting with stress, starting with worries, just let it go. And another deep, 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 deep breath. And if you want to go deeper, let's start, let, let go of, of any old and tired beliefs or patterns of thinking, relationship patterns, behaviors that might be self-defeating or self-sabotaging. Any remnants of belief that we're not good enough, that there's anything wrong with us, that we're too much of this, not enough of that. That's the kind of stuff that we can let go of, that we can choose right now, this moment, to let go of. Right? We let the breath do the work. All we have to do is let go. Let go to any part of it that we are holding on to. And then the breath does the rest. The breath allowing it again to fill us with energy and life force and power and to continue cleansing as it exhales, taking anything that we have outgrown that no longer serves us, anything that we have outgrown and are ready to shed like an old snake skin that can no longer contain us. And we do that a couple of more times, letting go one more time deeply and ready when you are, you can gently begin to bring yourselves back and moving slowly, opening your eyes when you're ready. That was great. That, that was, that was really great. And we're going to take that out as a download for anyone who comes to the <laughs> website. Um, that was, that was really fantastic. Uh, I tried to keep my eyes open, uh, for those of you who are just listening and towards the end, I just couldn't anymore. Um, this is, this has been really fantastic. You have a TEDx talk that people can look, uh, look for on uh, YouTube. Is that right? I do on the power of the breath. That's great. And, uh, he's got a book called Awakening the Soul of Power. We'll hook that up in the show notes. It's a great book on how to awaken your spirituality and find power. Is there yes. anything else you were hoping to share that we didn't get to today? Well, you know, we didn't get into the, into that whole conversation <laughs> about power. Um, because most of us are, have an ambivalent 
conflicted relationship with it. We, part of us wants it, part mm. of us is afraid of it. And I think what we fear, yeah. Dr. G, is that if we really stepped into all of who we are, that, that other people wouldn't be able to handle it and that we might end up rejected and alone. And we also fear that if we really stepped into our power that we might abuse it and cause harm. And no mm. wonder how many times have we, have we witnessed abuses of power? And all we gotta do yeah. is turn on the news at any given day to, to witness at least one abuse of power. And so, sure. and what, so why good hearted person wants to do that? We don't wanna do that. And so combined to that, add to that mix, the fact that we've been conditioned to believe that power is a bad thing, you know, with quotes like power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. What they didn't tell us is that Lord Agden, who said that, was speaking specifically about political power, not personal power, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. And then add to the fact, you know, that, the, the, that we've been conditioned to believe that the emotions are weakness. And, and what a twisted thing. Like, emotions, like we were saying, they're just energies. Uh, and then, by the way, which we also didn't get into, is, is that we have labeled, we have connected the emotions with the feminine and labeled mm -hmm. the feminine weakness, right? Especially for us guys, little boys don't cry. Why? Because only little girls cry. Like, wait a minute. And if you want to talk, you know, about power and courage and resilience, let's talk about the power of creation that resides in a female body. So, so this association of the feminine with weakness is totally false and made up. Um, well, and, yeah, and but so, that's because we live in a patriarchy, and yeah. and there is, I mean, there is a lot of history behind that, and how when written language started, we started using the left brain a lot more than the right brain, so we got oh, out of creativity. Yeah. I and love that's, that book. That's pretty much the yeah uh, alphabet the, versus the goddess. It. The alphabet and the goddess. Yes, I yeah, love that and the book. alphabet versus the goddess. Yeah. Yes, so yes. I think I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but if we can start to look at our emotions as a beacon to where where we're supposed to go and again we're taught how to be factory workers we're not taught how to manage you know we're not taught any personal mastery and i think yes. that that's that's what you know when 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 you read this book awakening the soul of power you're going to really get an understanding of personal power in a way that is not it's not as masculine as say you know a tony robbins uh, sort of approach you know he talks about personal power as well but there's a lot more power that we have access to when we are able to connect with our breath, observe ourselves, and then also uh, access the divine. Yes, and, and the book is for everybody, but it has a particular message about women's empowerment. And it's mm -hmm. not to idealize women, it's not to put women up on a pedestal. Women also abuse power, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but it's because, and it's, and it's certainly not to give women more crap that they have to clean up in this world. Yeah. <laughs> but it's because because of what you're saying for the last several thousand years of patriarchy we've been running very off kilter very off balance between the masculine and the feminine energies that course through every one of us no matter yeah. what kind of body we're in um, and 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 that's what colors our relationship to the world and to life so when women are in 50 percent of power in this world we're going to have a very different relationship to war and poverty and hunger and social justice and wealth distribution and how we treat the environment, et cetera. So that's why it's for everybody, but it has a particular message for women. And, and it's about how do we step into power in a way that's not about hierarchy, control, fear, force, domination. How do we step into power in a way that doesn't require that we push anybody down, step on them in order for us to feel powerful. I love that. 
Where can people find you? Um, the book is available at your local bookstore if you want to support them. And it's also uh -huh. on Amazon. And and by, the, and by the way, I got a great endorsement from Gloria Estefan. Uh, the music, music icon. I know. I still can't I get over her. that. I love her. <laughs> um, and um, in terms of reaching me, probably my website is best, soulfulpower.com. From there, awesome. they can get to my social media. And for your audience, uh, Dr. G, if they'll go to soulfulpower.com and get on my email list, then we know how easy it is to click unsubscribe at any point if it doesn't work for you. But just yeah. for getting on, your, on my email list, they'll get a sample chapter from the book about what it means wow. to live heroically in the 21st century. They'll get some power practices that are designed to apply some of the concepts and the teachings to our lives. So they don't stay at the level of teaching and information because we don't need more information. We've got information overload. What we need yeah. is transformation. And that's what comes from applying, from integrating the concepts and the teachings into our lives. And then they'll also get a guided meditation, sort of like the one we did earlier, um, yeah. but with a, with a teaching about trust. And, and it's focused on trust, which I created last year in the middle of the pandemic um, to help us move into a more trusting place in these mm -hmm. times of chaos and uncertainty. I love it. Well, Christian, thanks so much for coming on to the Menopause Movement podcast today. I really appreciate you. And um, everybody go and get his book and go sign up for his mailing list so you can get <laughs> the, uh, the guided meditation. And thanks again. Victor G, thank you so much for having me on the show. I love the conversation, and I know you and I could keep talking for a couple more hours. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> I hope and, to have you back again. I would love to, and I, we wouldn't run out yeah. of stuff to talk about. Um, Never. And so many points of, of confluence yeah. in, in, in our teachings. I love Yogananda, too. That yeah. was one of my first uh, yeah. spiritual books that I read, too. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so anyway, and thanks for having the show. I know in, in your yeah. willingness to do so, you, you, so many lives are impacted and touched. So thank you again for, from my personal perspective and from all of us. Did you know that menopause is not a medical condition? Most doctors don't know this either. I like to say that menopause is the privilege of a long life. And to really take hold of our lives in menopause, we have to unlearn what society and the medical establishment has told us about menopause. Thanks so much for being a part of the menopause movement.